I looked into altered states of consciousness and different sort of um, experiences that can give rise to this feeling of oneness or unification that happens for some people. And I came across different experiences that could give rise to this feeling. And for example, extreme sports and states of flow, near-death experiences, and serendipity led me to the overview effect. Hello and welcome to the Further Reaches podcast. My name is Kaz Tanner and I'm your host. Today we are going to be learning about a topic which I am absolutely fascinated in. This is the overview effect, which refers to a shift in consciousness that astronauts experience after seeing the Earth from space. Our guest today is Dr. Anahita Nazami, who several years ago interviewed NASA astronauts to investigate the therapeutic benefits of the overview effect. This was part of her doctoral research. She realized that the overview effect potentially offers comparable results to psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy and nature-based experiences in promoting transcendence and well-being. In 2019, Anahita established Virtual Reality Overview Effect, VROE, and has been working hard since then to disseminate, study, and apply the overview effect. Anahita is a chartered counseling psychologist providing consultation, assessment, and therapy. Her areas of interest include space health, well being, neuroscience, trauma, depression, performance, and altered states of consciousness. Here is our conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Well, Anahita, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you on. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to talking with you about the overview effect and consciousness and altered states and all those things. Amazing. So to start with, for someone who's never heard of the overview effect, what is it? So at at its core, the overview effect is actually a term that's coined by Frank White. He's a space philosopher um, and a futurist, um, and he's written uh, a book by the same name um, and documented this sort of phenomenon in his book. And the way he describes it, I'm going to sort of just paraphrase um, his description. It refers to a cognitive shift in worldview experienced by astronauts when they view firsthand the Earth from space as a tiny, fragile ball of life. And the experience is often accompanied by feelings of awe and an understanding of the interconnection of all life and a renewed sense of responsibility for taking care of the planet. But actually, it goes beyond that as well. And so, if, in a way, Frank White um, conducted field research with you know, lots of um, astronauts, I think um, over uh, 30 astronauts at least, uh, many more. Um, And um, his sort of interviews um, sort of helped him and other people uh, highlight themes within the experience. So really try to um, uh, understand what the experience was and sort of did a thematic analysis. But actually, over the years, what we're beginning to understand is, is a broader definition of the overview effect. And if we think about it, the overview effect essentially describes a, um, 
psychological state that can emerge when we're witnessing remarkable um, natural landscapes from an expansive vantage point. And earth gazing from orbit or the moon is the epitome of this experience. And actually, David Yadin, um, who's based in New York, he's a psychologist, um, he describes it in this way. And it's a very useful um, description um, uh, because it allows us to understand that it is a psychological state that emerges as a result of our interaction with nature in this kind of panoptic scale. And that, it, you know, this engagement with nature, which is Earth, can result in a shift in consciousness um, uh, or a shift in um, uh, cognitive shift as well. And beyond that, I think why, and we'll probably touch on this a bit more later, but, you know, the overview effect is, can basically be considered an atypical method of engaging with the natural environment, which is Earth and space. You know, that it, we don't normally... When we think of nature, we don't normally think of it as as you know um, expansive space and and Earth as a planet. And so, um, so it's just an, an interesting way, you know, um, to look at it. And in that way, then we can begin to sort of hypothesize or begin to um, predict that it offers perhaps demonstrable, maybe even enhanced benefits in terms of promoting you know, um, well-being or different aspects of well-being or self-transcendence, perhaps, or feeling of connectedness with nature, which various natural environments, um, research has shown, can um, can do. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I think it's amazing that there is, like, such a huge difference between knowing that we exist on this planet, seeing a photograph of the planet, but then when an astronaut goes into space, they experience it so differently. You know, these astronauts must have seen photos of the Earth before mm -hmm. taking off. But why do you think that it's so different to physically see the Earth from space compared to just looking at a photograph of the Earth? I think that's an amazing um, question. So I think um, there's several several reasons. Um, but I think one of one of the reasons is to do with um, that sort of direct perceptual encounter that astronauts have. A picture provides an, again an idea, but the direct experience is, you know gives a much more vivid um, experience. Um, and you know you have to imagine when the astronauts are talking about the experience, they're talking about how the images are moving all the time and the scene before them, you know, the earth is alive, basically. That's how they describe, many astronauts describe the earth. Um, and so it's much more vibrant, the direct experience. Um, and, you know, for example, the context as well of being an in infinite space and, you know, earth being positioned, um, the backdrop is infinite space. Um, and so, you know, you have these sort of changes in, uh, almost as, as you like the 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 the, the, the per earth personifies you know because she presents herself in different ways to the, the the observer so for example in the day passes earth will come alive um you know she appears alone the stars fade out in the background because of the sunlight and earth actually appears alone and um you know the more organic features of earth come alive and human signatures 
can't be seen as much um and you know earth is there bare and sort of um presenting herself but then at the night scenes where the night um you know the dark passes over earth earth is much more animated and human civilization and activity comes alive and she's she seems vibrant in a different way so really these nuances um and these differences um in in presentation in the scene and um, the motion the movement the colors um the deep space before them really you know a picture can't provide that in quite the same way so it's much more profound but also earth is um you know for the astronauts up there in space um uh, or in orbit or in moon landings um they, they basically presented with this scene it's a constant although they're not always earth gazing they're very busy they've got things to do but it is a constant and it is there so they can always this contemplative process you know they can return back to earth view her you know and then go away process it come back and look again and whereas a picture is slightly different most of the time and um it's, it's more static um, although we have wonderful um images from the iss and other satellite images that um uh you know are, are, are doing a great job in in showing us um you know where we are um you know in 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 the wider scheme of things finally i think also just being able to i think an image or a scene in terms of a video footage or a still picture doesn't quite capture the interconnectedness of what what is being observed for example um nicole stott uh, in one of my um interviews uh for my thesis she talked about lightning and i had never um perhaps um all those years ago i was a bit sort of naive but i had never sort of heard anyone describe lightning in the way that she described it and she talked about these sort of um neural networks of lightning spanning thousands of miles across the planet and you know this sort of conscious sort of energy that was sort of vibrating across the planet um and i just found that fascinating i just didn't think of lightning in that way yeah, that's so true. Because when we experience lightning, we just see like one lightning bolt and that's it. And to be honest, I hadn't really thought about how there could be like a neural network of lightning across, you know, big parts of the planet. That's such a beautiful image. Um, I, it's so fascinating that a lot of these astronauts who go to space, they come back changed. Like I know that some of them come back uh, more uh, focused on helping the environment or with more humanitarian focus of what can I do to help people, to help the earth, like being in space changes them and their priorities and the things that they think are important. So it's this like huge shift in perspective that happens. Um, so it's so cool that you decided to study this for your PhD research um, and you actually got to talk to seven NASA astronauts, which is amazing. I don't know how many people can say that they've talked to seven astronauts. Um, so I'd love to hear what did you study for your PhD and in these interviews with the astronauts, what did you find? Um, back in 2012, um, I was trying to sort of come up with a research idea and doctoral research sort of idea. And I was very much into altered states of consciousness. And I was very much 
you know, I, I was reading around um, Jung and Jungian, Jungian psychology um, and uh, very much into actually at that time quantum physics and trying to read into the sort of um, idea of oneness within quantum physics. Um, and actually this idea of oneness was something that I was very uh, fascinated by in relation to altered states of consciousness. And that's where my sort of ideas of what, what I should research started. And I looked into altered states of consciousness and different sort of um, experiences that can give rise to this feeling of oneness or unification that happens for some people. And I came across different experiences um, that could give rise to this feeling. And for example, extreme sports and states of flow. Um, I came across sort of near-death experiences um, and these sort of um, meditation, of course. Anyway, so I was looking at these different experiences and I was looking into this feeling of oneness and sort of serendipity led me to the overview effect. And, you know, I was um, staying up till two in the morning, reading and reading and trying to figure out what to do. And in, in the panic of all of that, I think I tweeted or emailed via Twitter anyway, Frank, and um, said, you know, I've come across this overview effect and I'm looking into researching and, you know, can we meet? Can we just have a discussion? And from there, that's sort of we had a few meetings via Zoom and um, the rest is history. And so that led to um, looking at um, the overview effect and, um, you know, altered states of consciousness and the overview effect. And um, and that's where it started. So um, for my doctoral research, I, I was, as I said, very fortunate. Frank put me in touch with some NASA astronauts and I ended up into interviewing seven retired NASA astronauts. One was just about to retire. Um, and really, I wanted to understand, OK, so um, okay, so there's the planetary perspective and this sort of cosmic perspective. And that can give rise to something called the overview effect, which I believe to be an um, altered states of consciousness or a higher level of consciousness. And I really wanted to try to begin the process or the discussion around, well, what are the underlying psychological mechanisms that instigates this kind of cognitive and potentially the behavioral change that might follow? And if the experience does promote well-being, well, how does it promote well-being? What type of well-being and why? And these types of questions were important, although I couldn't address all of them, to be honest, in, in my thesis, but they were interesting to me. And if the experience strengthened the astronaut's emotional attachment to Earth and nature, uh, well, why is that? Like, What actually led to that? Um, because obviously that's got uh, important implications for well-being uh, on a personal level, but actually also planetary well-being in terms of sustainability and in terms of individual choices and behaviours that we take and how we um, look after the planet that we love to live on. And so th those were sort of really important. And um the results basically of the research, um, what, what the research showed, um, complemented Frank's existing work um, and also kind of gave rise to a few new areas. And I think I mentioned one of them earlier, which, for example, the, the different faces of Earth, the nuances of Earth that sort of came about um, because of this planetary perspective and how the astronauts in my um, interviews commented on the dark side and the light side. And that was very important to them. The physical detachment, for example, was also very important. All of the astronauts in, in 
the NASA astronauts um, talked about the physical detachment they felt and how that really sort of um, almost hinting towards nostalgia, you know, being untethered from the planet that you come from and live on and live with. Um, um, that also led to that sense of perceived loss because obviously, um, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, as many people say. And in this case, that was true. And of course, being removed in that way and seeing the sort of panoptic or planetary perspective um, removes you as well physically from everyday problems. And so that that detachment, again, was very important in terms of um, helping them uh, focus on larger global problems, which became much more obvious because the borders and boundaries weren't as visible and everything was in this sort of... um, uh, presented in a unified um, singularity, if you like. You know, it was all there happening interconnected all at once before them. Of course, the experience, and Frank has talked about this, elicited positive um, and transformational emotions. So emotions that we know are powerful in the field of psychology, for example, like awe, gratitude, reverence, humility, wonder. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it for to all the astronauts I interviewed, it either strengthened virtuous disposition, so they already had these virtuous dispositions that, that existed within them, or it sort of, um, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say created, you know, these virtuous dispositions. I suspect the process was about strengthening the, 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 the already existing um, dispositions that they had, but still I found that very interesting. Um, there was also a spiritual sort of aspect to the interviews. Um, you know, they talked about insignificance and significance together. Um, and um, the, many of the astronauts um, from the seven that I interviewed were, would talk about feeling insignificant, but also feeling significant. For example, they made sense of the experience, things like being in the Goldilocks zone, um, made them as, as a unit, as an individual, I am insignificant. I am potentially alone in this vast cosmic arena and that can make me feel insignificant but connected to the planet connected to my species connected to nature connected to life connected to the cosmos I am larger than that I am um, significant Um, and also the positioning of planet Earth was, you know, for example, they would, some of the astronauts would talk about, we're in the Goldilocks zone. Look at us, how fortunate we are, how lucky we are. So this kind of juxtaposition between insignificance and significance um, was important. Um, of course, we know that existential contemplation is important in, in all aspects of our life for many people. And so similarly, for the astronauts, uh, this is sort of years after their experience, but for many of them, they were reflecting on existential aspects of the experience and um, they also uh, sort of felt some sort of more um, uncomfortable emotions so wonder was laced with guilt and angst as well for many of them if not I'd say all of them actually there was this sort of sense of remorse this anticipated loss of something that could be bad that could be coming you know if because they could see pollution they could see droughts they could see deforestation they could see these things from this sort of panoptic, these environmental um, uh, issues. And that really gave 
sort of led to this these feelings of angst. Um, but familiarity was important. You know, as I said, there is a sort of personification of Earth where they're going round Earth. You know, I think there's 16 sunrises and sunsets in 24 hours. So they're just going round um, Earth and they're seeing all of these sunsets um, and sunrises and then getting to learn about Earth's nuances and they're understanding more about their home planet and places of interest. But this sort of deeper familiarity is really important in just um, all relationships, you know, when we get close to another human being or our pet, you know, um, that that sense of being familiar and getting to know something in a, in a more meaningful and in a deeper way is important. And similarly, with that attachment with planet Earth, the formation of that sort of early attachment with planet Earth requires that familiarity and so over going round and round the planet seeing the planet in that way um, was very important part of that sort of initial formation of a stronger attachment bond. Mm, that um, was something I uh, I had wondered if um, it was mostly you know astronauts had like a sudden shift in their consciousness that happened you know the first time they set eyes on earth or I was wondering if for some of them it it took more time so it sounds like for some astronauts it was you know being in orbit for a while seeing the earth over an extended period of time it kind of built up mm -hmm. for some mm -hmm. there are aspects of the the, the in engagement that are immediate like that initial feeling of awe when they set eyes for the first time or maybe second third fourth fifth time on planet earth from from space or orbit that's an immediate powerful visceral emotion that sort of takes over them right and so that that's something that's immediate so there's that sort of immediate perceptual and emotive engagement with the planet but of course there's the con contemplative um, responses that sort of follow on afterwards as well and i think you're right that over months and years this process is unfolding. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had a very profound or traumatic even experience in your life. I know for any of the experiences that I've had in my life, it's ongoing, isn't it? Whether it's profound in a positive way or profound maybe in a maybe initially in a negative way, the key thing is they stay with you and you go over them and over them um, and you reflect on them and sometimes in a really healthy way and other times in a not so healthy way. But similarly with the astronauts, they, they thought about this experience. And for example, I mean, one, one wonderful story is Joseph Allen, one of my, I probably shouldn't have a favorite interview, <laughs> but he was one of my favorites. Um, he talked about dreaming of Earth years after um, he'd been to space. And uh, so he he was sort of talking about dreams and recurring dreams, seeing Earth, and, you know, it really was internalised for him and others in different ways. Um, Ronald Garren talks about how he can uh, visualise and close his eyes and bring that moment back, the feeling of unification, oneness, you know, in the moment. And so it's it's quite profound. And, and as you rightly pointed out, it is kind of sort of incremental and over time it it unfolds um, and is internalized and I think actually the attachment is strengthened in many ways over time because of this process of um, reflecting and contemplating and you know um, uh, and as just I just find the whole and for me it's really important to try to understand you know we have um, you know Bowlby and attachment theories on relationships for example human relationships and human attachment between mother and infant and then relationships and as adults 
But actually, there there are also attachments with objects that can, um, you know, develop. Think of hoarding disorder, for example. You know, we can develop attach strong attachments with objects, um, but we can also um, develop strong attachments with atta- places of of um, interest and preference. We can develop um, strong attachments with, um, you know, natural um, environments. Um, and so there's, um, you know, biophilia, for example, is about that, our love for nature, our love for natural places. Um, so I think that's important to think about how these attachments, why these attachments with planet Earth develop and are cultivated. What is the process? Because if we can understand what happens to the astronauts up there in orbit in space, we can um, use that knowledge and wisdom um, to then create effective um, interventions, um, applications, um, processes, educational systems, whatever it is here on Earth. And um, I think that's something that has inspired me and um, you know moved me so that I'm constantly trying to learn from the experience of the astronauts, but also now commercial astronauts and then now VR, which um, you know um, I'm involved in um, and with. I'm so excited to ask you about your um, your work in virtual reality and uh, kind of mimicking this overview effect that astronauts experience. Um, I'm curious because I think this probably helps you with your research and how to create a virtual reality experience. Like I know the seven astronauts you spoke to, they all experienced this mm-hmm. overview effect, but um, does it happen to all astronauts? And if it doesn't happen to all astronauts, have you managed to identify some of the contributing factors that might play a role on whether someone does experience this or not? So I think we should differentiate out the overview with the effect. The overview is the planetary perspective and everyone from orbit or space has the planetary perspective and dependent on you know their personality traits predisposing factors, their belief systems, they all have some sort of variance in how they respond to that. So there is that. The uh, There is the common sort of um, feeling of awe that, again, is across the board. Um, and I would say most, if not all, astronauts and cosmonauts comment on this feeling of awe, of being in deep space, of being um, seeing the planetary perspective of the rocket launch, all of these things combined, weightlessness, you know, that there's this feeling of just awe that does come over them momentarily, occasionally, but it comes and goes and, they, and it's been reported while they're watching planet Earth as well. Um, so that's something that's common and um, reported um, across um, astronauts and cosmonauts. And Gallagher and colleagues in 2015 did a neurophenomenological, if I can say that, um, study. Uh, And, um, you know, I'd advise people to look into that. And that that was on um, space flight and awe and wonder. Their study focused in on that. The other thing we've noticed is that there is some variance in terms of astronaut values. Um, So we talked about spirituality um, and actually there's one specific type of spirituality which is called universalism which means um, all forms of nature are equally deserving of protection appreciation tolerance and understanding and that seems to be the type of spirituality that sort of um, the planetary perspective and the overview effects lend themselves to however um, there seems to be some variance between astronauts and cosmonauts So, um, for example, uh, cosmonauts 
do not affiliate or do not um, talk about universalism as much as um, Canadian and um, NASA astronauts. So there's cultural differences um, in terms of, you know, how the experience is relayed, how the experience is processed. Um, maybe there's language um, differences there too. And so I think you're right that, you know, we can't just make assumptions that it is the same across the board for everyone. There will be differences. But what we can do is look for these commonalities across the experience in terms of what data we have so far and uh, and see if we can replicate those. And that's what we're trying to do. So I love that you're currently doing research in trying to recreate the overview effect through virtual reality. Um, tell us a little bit about your current initiative. So the project or um, what we're called is virtual reality overview effect. So it says what it does on the tin in a sense. We attempt to recreate aspects of the overview effect and planetary perspective via virtual immersive environments. We combine various elements. Um, that includes binaural beats. We also use um, certain sort of frequency ranges as well. We use meditation. Uh, we use um, the science of music um, uh, and celestial scenes. And the learning that we've sort of developed based on my research, as well as other people's research, like Frank White's, David Yadens, uh, Nick Canis, um, uh, Stuster, if I can say his name. Um, what we do is try to incorporate some of those themes into our work. So, for example, the idea of the night passes and the dark passes, the idea of familiarity going around the earth to become more familiar, the idea of spirituality, universalism, the idea of trying to use the cosmic landscape to elicit awe. Um, you know, all of these kinds of ideas and themes that are, came about as a result of, as I said, my research and other people's work, we try to incorporate into um, our pilots and, and programs. And then what we do with the programs is um, we, tr we then research it. We then sort of create a hypothesis and then say, OK, right, so we hypothesize that this program can elicit or and can it. We hypothesize that this program can strengthen momentarily connectedness or um, relation uh, relatedness to nature. Can it? Um, and you know the, these types of tests with emotions, which are a bit, um, which are a bit sort of abstract and difficult to measure anyway. But but that's what we're doing. It's a learning exercise um, because what we can then use the data and the outcome and the research for is to this type of research can support um, other people's work in trying to come up with um, uh, well-being initiatives on Earth and off, off Earth as well. And really what I'm interested at, um, I'm a psychologist, I'm actually a counselling psychologist, which means I work in clinical practice, I work with people directly on a relational level. And it's really important to have other ways, apart from talking therapy, to try to help people do that. So how can we help people self-regulate and co-regulate? For example, PTSD as a result of traumatic that can arise sometimes as a result of traumatic experiences so if we can then use technology to help people do that through the music meditation through whatever means we can and show through science and evidence where that is uh, working and where it might need improvement then who, who knows in in 10 20 years time interventions can look very different we might have a much broader spectrum of interventions of course that leads me to think about interventions like psychedelic assisted psychotherapy um, and and transcendent interventions generally you know that, that, that what, what a world it could be if we could have these evidence-based evidence-led 
transcendent interventions that help re-enchant people with the world, that help people calibrate and regulate, that help people, um, you know, in a different way than um, medication or, you know, some psycho... Um, Psych, uh, psychoactive medications or antidepressants that really have a numbing effect. Um, so I, I'm very sort of um, passionate about trying to, even if I, I contribute a small, tiny piece to the puzzle of trying to give more options to people, you know, prisoners, people, inpatients, to hospitals, to people who are depressed, to pe- you know, we need more options on the table um, as treatment options and, and then even also extending out to mental health or deep space missions. You know, we need we need solutions for people who might be going out uh, further out into the reaches of the cosmos. And and all of these are just ideas at this stage. But there's some there's some ideas on the table and we're trying to research it, basically. Yeah. And it's, it's not fair that it's just currently, you know, the wealthy elite like Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, they currently can go to space and potentially experience this planetary perspective. But your work through virtual reality uh, can make it accessible to everyday people. Um, I know there's a quote on your website from one of the Apollo 14 astronauts, Michael Collins. He said, I believe that if the political leaders of the world could see their planet from a distance, their outlook would be fundamentally changed. So imagine if all political leaders um, could experience this overview effect, maybe their priorities and decision making could be fundamentally different. Um I know your research is in, you know, preliminary stages, but what have you found so far? Uh, what do people experience when they they do this virtual reality overview effect? Yeah, so uh, what we found is we've been doing beta tests with, we have one pilot called the Music of the Spheres, which is largely um, focusing on trying to recreate some of the themes in my research and trying to elicit awe. So that's the sort of key thing that we were focusing on. Can we elicit to varying degrees some awe response in people? Can we uh, strengthen people's attachment to planet Earth even momentarily? Um, And can we sort of recreate those certain themes and techniques that I've um, alluded to in my research? So um, we, I think, have conducted some beta tests and small-scale studies so far, um, I think about 100 100 people, and they've come back sort of showing very provisional results. And I say provisional because we're just about to conduct more in-depth research with um, universities. But they show that there is some awe response that needs further investigation. Um, um, and again, in terms of connectedness to nature, we've had positive responses and we've used self-report uh, measures at this stage. Um, but as I said, we're going into much more in-depth ways of measuring um, emotions using perhaps biosensors and um, you know, observational studies and um, behavioral studies as well. So th- th- that's with all. And now we've got um, a, a VROE program for leaders that we've created, which looks at sustainable leadership, looks at circular leadership. And this is in collaboration with um, Charlie Perrings, who is one of the co-founders or is the co-founder of VROE, and Egbert Mulder, who is the founder of Circular Leadership. So we've partnered up and we're trying to create Programs, so virtual reality, um, as well as other multi-sensory 2D program, tech-based programs, based on the overview effect, to help support um, sustainable leadership. Um, and we couple these virtual reality um, or 2D multi-sensory tech-based programs with workshops 
Um, and the workshops are very much based on, you know, the leaders of the world, CEOs, directors, um, and uh, politicians, um, leaders in academia. Um, and one of the reasons why is because we thought, well, how can we create a meaningful change? And we thought, well, leaders is one of the areas that we can we can do that uh, with. And, and it seems very relevant right now. I think, um, you know, uh, leaders of companies are beginning to realize that actually the world is demanding change and that they need to, um, they need to take a different tack and approach to leadership and that's what we're offering um, a sustainable leadership you know uh, approach that uses technology to help leaders develop soft skills to help leaders come up to solutions of how they can take uh, a more sustainable uh, approach how they can promote sustainability in their organizations and companies how they can be more creative and um, yeah so that, that, that's that's what all of that is about, and again, we're researching, we're um, partnering up with the university, uh, it's provisional discussions with the University of Amsterdam to sort of conduct um, some research, um, Egbert's based in Netherlands, and we're in UK to conduct some early research with um, with uh, specific cohorts that participate. Awesome. So if, um, if someone listening to this wanted to experience um, the virtual reality overview effect, is there currently a way for them to do that, or what would you recommend? So there's a film festival um, that is on Friday, 11th of March, Saturday, 12th of March, Sunday, 13th of March, and it's called the Overview Effect Film Festival. And we will be presenting the music of the spheres on the Sunday. I can't tell you the time because it's not been confirmed, but um, that's the Overview Effect Film Festival. So, you know, whoever is interested in experiencing the music of the spheres, which I think is one of the most actually powerful um, programs that we've created, um, can 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 come and join us there, and we'll talk about the overview effect. We'll talk about the theory of the overview effect. There'll be a panel discussion, and then there'll be a meditation, and um, one of the pilots that we've created. Amazing! And is that a um, an online film festival, or is it in person? It's an online um, film. Yeah. Okay, great. I'll add a link to that in the show notes. Thank you um, so much. So one other question I wanted to ask you about is um, I um, have been studying under Dr. Leela Moore, studying the connection between spirituality and technology. And so I've been doing a lot of reading about the potential for virtual reality to help cause a shift in consciousness. And I find that when I talk about this idea with people, um, I get met with a lot of resistance to yeah. this idea of virtual reality. And especially since Mark Zuckerberg did this announcement about Facebook and the metaverse, there seems to be a lot of fear around virtual reality mm -hmm. and I so I was wondering if you encounter that as you talk about these topics and mm -hmm. kind of what your take is on you know the shadow side of technology but also its positive potential as well. Mm -hmm. So I think um, I think the reality is with any tools that humankind have developed over over you know our millions of years of evolution um, there's always a, a positive and negative use of the tools. We can think of fire, we can think of technology, we can think of, you know, whatever tools that we've created, swords, you know. Um, and so I think that's important to bear in mind that there will ultimately be this sort of uh, positive and negative aspect to it. So I don't deny that there is a negative aspect. Of course, as you talked about, you know, we've got the gaming 
side of um you know a lot of parents are worried about their children and you know um being addicted to games and this whole new world that is taking over and you know uh, certain people from the sort of 80s and 90s generation sort of which is my generation you know aren't as familiar because you know it only sort of started happening internet sort of came about only in the 90s so there is a real problem and the thing is this uh, positive reinforcement through dopamine which can occur especially with gaming for example um, also with television any type of addiction that you can think of really is this sort of dopamine uh, circuitry that is activated um, and that is really it's not just about gaming, right? This is about more than gaming, but gaming is one of the things that can activate that um, dopamine circuitry and then can therefore overuse, um, uh, can lead to addictive behaviors. And so that's sort of gaming side of it, um, which again is something that might become habitual, something that becomes regular, something that is becomes everyday part of your everyday life. And I suppose the metaverse also talks about that in terms of what that might become in the future would be sort of uh, an internet within this immersive world um, where anything can sort of be created. Um, so I think that, that, that some caution does need to be um, taken with creation of when we're architecting techno positive technologies, which is what I'm involved in. I think you have to be careful. I think you have they have to be well designed. I think you have to think about utility what they're for how they will be used when they will be used by who um, do they work how do they work which is what vroe are we're not perfect but we're trying to take some of those precautionary steps in in doing that um, so i think those questions are very relevant and very important um, and i think in terms of um yes uh, recent sort of um, developments with um, zuckerberg and um, metaverse um, is uh, this sort of, uh, I wouldn't call it a paranoia, actually. I would call it sort of this um, hypersensitivity to data and content and, uh, uh, you know, these sort of larger organizations and companies having uh, a say over that data and content and what, what happens to it. People are becoming very sensitive to that, including myself, you know where does that data go who who controls it why and you know it's very they're important questions so i think that um again they're important questions and i think we need to think about um what drives us when we're designing you need to well i need to we should try to at the heart of the mission put well-being I mean, that's what we're doing. We're taking this positive technology approach and we're trying to think of the well-being, you know, of um, the people we're working for. And that's the heart of what we do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's definitely <laughs> some really uh, positive things that can come from the overview effect. Um, is there anything else uh, you would like to talk about in... Uh, relation to VROE and your work or anything I haven't asked you about? 
No, no, just I think um, just the research side is what what we're doing at the moment. We're partnering up with a bunch of um, different universities internationally. And hopefully by next year, we'll have some more results um, on top of what we have. And again, we're going to use that those results to improve um, the programs we have. And yeah, we'll, we'll keep going and keep researching. And hopefully you'll hear from us a bit more in the future once we have more results on the programs we've created. Fantastic. So if people want to find out more information, um, where should they go? So um, I think our Instagram is BR underscore uh, overview effect. Our uh, website is BR uh, hyphen overview hyphen effect dot co dot UK. Wonderful. Well, Anna Hita, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time and I loved hearing more about your work on the overview effect. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me, Kaz. It was lovely um, talking with you about this topic. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. The music you hear in this podcast is composed by my friend Zachary Walter. If you want to find out more, visit ZacharyWalterMusic.com and I'll see you next time.